Good morning and welcome to Talking Books. This show has been on the air for the best part of four years now and the genre least covered by the wide selection of guests we have had on over the years is science fiction. I do wonder whether that's because it's not something I read very often but I have not knowingly turned down any authors who write otherworldly stories and novels. So today I'm doing something to redress the balance just a little bit and have as my guest West Bagborough author Paul Arvidsson. So welcome Paul. Hello. First of all, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came into writing? Crikey. Um, I guess I came into writing um, at college. Um, I went and did a a theatre degree for my sins um, and wrote plays and creative writing stuff there um i did a um i did a creative writing course with um with uh, paul mars a chap who does lots of kind of um, really interesting writing and writes a lot of um writes a lot of science fiction himself um and he's gone on to make a proper career of it whereas instead um when he went off to do that i went off to be a lighting designer and went off to do kind of um theatre and and um, the music and things, lighting it and, and being a technician for it. So I kind of I left the writing behind at that point and went off onto the road to do to do exciting flashy lights and. and Anybody wizards. we'd know? Oh crikey! Uh, I think the Queen once. That was quite good Ooh. fun. Um, I, sp- <laughs> I spent the entire day running round a. Um, there was a, um, a new court building opened in Manchester um, and. Um, as well as lighting the stage where she was going to cut the inevitable ribbon, um, I had to make sure that all the monitors in this ten-story building were all showing the Queen everything that was going on in the rest of the building. Um, and obviously, they didn't want any technicians in it, so I spent the day running away from the Queen and kind of disappearing <laughs> out the door as she arrived. But, I mean, that's top of the tree, you know. <laughs> anyway, I, I distracted you. So, what took you away from lighting design then? Um, Eventually, um, I got the idea for the book um, between uh, my two kids being born. So my eldest is now nine and my youngest is eight. And between the two of them, um, in the dark hours of the morning doing night feeds, um, I got the idea of the world that the book's set in, that this this world in, in the dark. Um, and slowly but surely, as my daughter... Um, got past about 18 months she started missing kind of um, learning goals and things and we started to realise there was something up um, and she's still undiagnosed but she has some genetic um, challenges that mean that she's got learning difficulties and she doesn't walk and um, and she's tube fed and things like that so it means there's quite a lot of care mm-hmm. goes into goes into her life um, and slowly but surely um, between then and about three or four years ago um, it started to become evident that a life on the road really wasn't sustainable mm-hmm. and that she needed two parents at home because the workload was just too much for one person to cope with um and so slowly but surely i scaled all of that back and um and finally um finally came off the road completely to be a um to be a full-time carer along with my wife mm-hmm. um and then um and then once i'd come off the road um the caring thing was fine and I, I found myself coping with that great and it was all that was all okay but what I slowly started to notice was that if I wasn't doing something creative I was slowly but surely going crackers yes. and so I thought well I need to do something and um, I wonder if I could you know if I could shove this idea along a bit and turn it into mm. a proper story 
so I went back to the idea of of um, of the world and the characters, and I just imagined that there were there were these characters who live in this world that's totally in the dark, um, and if you set them in that universe, could they still have adventures? Would they still interact? Would they have a society? How would they how would they evolve? How would they you know how would they survive? And then what kind of adventure could you throw them all on that would you know that would be readable? But I mean that's interesting. It's, it's, it, the, you know, I'm always interested about where people get their stories from. So I mean, your book is called Dark, isn't it? Because yeah. obviously, when you say you know it's all about, it is literally set in the dark. So what did you suddenly have a flash of inspiration that you thought, well, actually, I don't think anybody's tried this before, or did it just gradually evolve? Um, I think I saw the I saw the the world and the people living in it quite suddenly. Um, and it was just one of those things that came it did come as a bit of a flash really and then then I had to evolve the idea because science fiction ideas stand and fall on whether they work in you know yes. whether they work in their own in their own universe if you like so I spent a lot of time working um, working on the backstory of it and it's like well could a could a world exist with no light would that mm. still function and then I started looking into some of the science of it um, so there are you know there are places on earth where there are creatures that live that exist entirely by eating minerals and they don't get any light or any water yeah the bottom of the sea is pretty dark isn't it? The black smoker <laughs> stuff was fascinating. I'd, I'd spent a reasonable amount of time watching um, watching David Attenborough and, yes. and similar, looking at the whole idea of the things that they found in deep, mm. deep ocean trenches and the fact that not only do they live down there, but there's this entire mystery ecosystem down mm. there that has no light um, and and all these creatures are existing perfectly happily down there. Thank you very much. Yes. And so I kind of thought, well, why not? Um, but when I conceived the idea, I, I imagined... Um, I imagine these creatures that kind of had had human characteristics and humanish interaction or interaction that a reader would find familiar, but they weren't human. Um, and so slowly but surely I wondered whether, well, okay, if they live on this world in the dark, how did they get there? What are they exactly? Um, and I kind of, I, I came up with the framework then that this, that the dark is an abandoned colony world that the humans have been to originally and then the people that that evolve the creatures that evolve are what's left of 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 the original colony that they brought mm. and then the, these creatures have adapted to their environment and they and they get on you know they they get on perfectly well there with the things that the colony brought and um and some of the things that existed in the world originally um and so there's a there's a, a, an ecosystem that's perfectly functional and sustainable and so they all they all live there without it you know without the need for but we can still them. relate to them i suppose as a mm. reader <coughs> you still feel that it's not a totally alien world that there are like you say characteristics of the characters i mean for example um your hero is called dun so how do you form how did the hero come together in your mind you know is he a is he a sort of an anti-hero a reluctant hero one of those people who was naturally born to be a leader is there any particular facet of his character that came to the fore um i think he's very much a reluctant hero and i think i i've always liked the idea of um of characters who who are caught up in an adventure whether they want to be or not um and it's it's fairly apparent um without me without me delivering any spoilers that he's got he's got some kind of um mental abilities that other people don't have right. when he's um when he when he's first introduced into the book he's been having these nightmares um 
sometimes even when he's awake um, and he doesn't quite know what they are um, and so part of the story is him exploring that and finding out where these nightmares mm. come from um, and I wanted him to be um, I wanted him to be ironically the reader's eyes in a way um, although mm. he'd, you know although he can't see um, I wanted um, the readers to, to experience the world through him in a way and have him be a um, an everyman kind of a yeah. kind of a character. So he he bumbles upon all of this stuff um, in the same way that the reader is to some degree. And so so he's a filter for you know for for the readers to be able to to be able to explore the world. Yeah. And then um, and then the adventure kind of carries him and his friends off. Um, and from there, it all becomes you know it it, it all becomes. He becomes a he becomes a hero because he manages to cope with the stuff that's thrown at him. I think, yes. and I think that's a lot of of what heroes are like actually in real life. I think. Mm. Um, so I, I, that's kind of what what interested me, I guess, about him as a character. Yes, I mean it, it's a very interesting way of looking at it, and it didn't it didn't come to you. Um, you've told me it took quite a long time to write. So did you feel as you were working on it that it was evolving as you, you, the world itself was almost evolving as you were writing it? It's not something you sort of, you know, wrote in six months, is it? it it's no, um, no, the, the first book um, took me eight years to get finished, um, but that was partly down to the, the demands of my time. Yes. Um, and, and I guess it's my first novel, so it's kind of, it's the... It was the process of learning how to write and the process of learning how to write science fiction and the process of, of learning to work properly from home where you've got to carve your time out and yeah. be, be quite fierce about defending that time. Um, and so I think that was a, that was a, um, and you went to the Writers and On group as well, I didn't you? Did. Who we've had, we've had Shella and we've had Martine on here um, a couple of times, and it's a hugely supportive group, isn't it, in Taunton? It is, and in many ways, I think if I did not have the backup of of, um, of Writers and Non to start with, it's it's easily an ember that could have died out. Um, because for that whole eight years, I wasn't spending the entirety of that time writing, but the idea was in my head. And once I'd realised that it was a viable idea and that you could create a world that existed completely in the dark and that you could make readable characters to go into it and have a nice adventure for them, um, that it was it was the regular visits there, I guess, to you know to try a new piece of it and say you know to to, to go through it with everyone and say right, okay, I'm going to read a chunk. Does this work? Mm. Um, and so there was a lot of to and fro in and trying different versions of of how um, you know how the beginning would start and different versions of the characters mm. and different versions of all kinds of stuff in there. And they they are fantastically supportive. It's a it's a good kind of critical mm. friend network, I guess. Mm. Nobody's going to let you you know bumble off down a dead end but um but you know everyone's there to you know to be supportive about the work and i i, I like um i like shella's writing and i like martin's writing a lot as well so they're yeah they're, they're interested in this sort of this sort of writing aren't they and yeah very much very mm. much i mean they're, they're from slightly different you know yeah. from slightly different angles but it's um it's no it's and they get it you know they get that kind of work um but the you know it's 
um, again, the, the, the writers are non group write a massive different massive different swathe of different genres yeah. and everyone just you know everyone's supportive whether that's their bag or not you know and it's really it's really nice i know i've you can follow the blog so if you go on to just google writers anon in taunton and the blog is really helpful isn't it there's useful ideas that they come up with regarding development of character and yeah, dialogue and all those things that you might struggle with as a first time author you know, i write non-fiction so i generally don't have to worry about dialogue <laughs> but you know, when you do try and write fiction, having the um, ability to think of natural natural speech. And so there's interesting tips and things that, that come out of there. I mean, is the, is the idea of having a... Presumably, you're still going, are you? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, it's in a kind of traditional science fiction style. I think I'm going to make it a trilogy. I haven't quite worked out what's going to happen by the end of book three. I'm in the middle of writing book two at the moment. Which is called... Uh, which is called Dark Earth. And is the last one going to be called Darkest? I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> um, it possibly might be called Darkest. It depends on what happens in it yet. Yes. Um, and it may not wind up being the end one. I'm, I'm very much... A, having created the world and the characters, I'm very much taking them for a wander around the world. Mm. I, I do very, very light structure. Um, so I know, broadly speaking, what's going to happen and broadly mm. speaking, where the, where the story arcs of each of the characters wind up. But only broadly. So I take them for a walk, you know, and see, see where the, see see where the story's going to take them, yeah. I think when you're independently publishing as well, it's really important to have that, those critical people behind you who Definitely. are a supportive group. Obviously, Definitely. you don't want people just criticising you all the time. No. But, you know, making it positive criticism and actually taking it forward. So Yeah, um, <coughs> and it's, it really does help. Um, there's, um, there's any number of, of, you know, of different sessions that we've had at Writers and Honor. I remember us having a, a, a lengthy session with Martine about um, she, she had an action scene in one of her stories that had um, a woman walking with a gun um, and and everyone kind of leapt on this as kind of a, you know, a hugely forgive the pun loaded image yeah. and so kind of there was a there was a whole discussion about the mechanics of it and yeah. how good was she with a gun and you couldn't just let something like that slip obviously it's a woman that you've armed with a gun so there's you know there's there's already a, a whole load yeah. of stuff there and so it took ages, ages to kind of to work mm. around it and martin <clears throat> took a load of stuff away and used some of it didn't use other bits mm. of it and it was just it was helpful i think there's a lot of there's a lot of brains in that group so it's quite and i think with something like science fiction whenever i've read science fiction you do need to know whether it's going to um, it's going to ring true, even though mm. it's science fiction, you can't just be completely off the wall unless you're ex- exceptionally skilled at, at creating these these different worlds. But you you have to have something like you say that people can relate to when they're reading it, that it's not a complete surprise to them. Yeah, I think so, um, and I think my my favourite science fiction authors, I guess, are all people who. Although they write things that are that are complex and otherworldly, are also relatable. So I'd like. Um, I'm a big fan of Ursula Le Guin. Oh yes. Um, so her yeah. stuff is very much about the Wizard of Earth. Scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Wizard of Earth is um, is probably her most famous work. But she does she's done a lot mm. of um, a lot of science fiction. Um, things like the left hand of darkness and the dispossessed and things like that. And the the interesting thing about her work is that because. I don't know whether she was an anthropologist or her parents were anthropologists. So the 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 basis of her work is mm. is how the alien society might function and how those people might interact. And mm. if they make if they meet humans, how would they interact with them? And so that that kind of how the world works is 
it's more interesting to me um, than you know than than a lot of kind of ray guns and space opera stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, and other people who do those kind of things who've got that kind of slightly tilted view on the world um, interest me. Um, and so that's kind of you know I mean I've I've read a lot of a lot of different stuff, but I think the things that have influenced me the most are places where somebody's created this whole universe and then made a really tellable story in it. Yes. Um, so Frank Herbert, um, the Dune books. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a really in depth world, but it's a really you know it's a really compelling story of mm. how this this boy you know goes off into the world and becomes a messiah, um, and it's kind of you know so it's it's those things it's the it's the good story within a within a crazy world mm. I guess is what I'm what I'm interested in. But none of them have taken on the idea that the the readers got to imagine something totally in the dark. So you have at least come up with a very original idea even if it's a really difficult original idea to work with because I can't imagine I can't think of other books where the whole world is actually a dark world is there anybody else out there who's written anything that you can compare it to um there are a couple of little little things here and there where looking back over the book um I think you, if you look back at something you've written mm. um, with a little bit of distance to it, you realise that actually when you write something, it is literally like doing therapy in a weird kind of yes, way. And there's all, all kinds of things that come out of the book that yes. you good grief. Was that me? Oh, wow. Yes. Did I think that? Yes. Um, so I think the idea, you know, the idea that it was called dark, I, kind of, I think reflected a really tricky period in my life and all of that kind mm. of stuff. Mm. Um, and so when I started realising that, you know, you you inadvertently write stuff that you didn't know was inside you and then I wondered where some of the influences had come from and track back mm. so Ursula Le Guin's um, Wizard of Earthsea the second book that I can't remember the name of um, is the one of the protagonists lives in a dungeon and she, she's yeah. sat in the dark all the time and that had never occurred to me but mm. that's where she lives she lives in the dark mm. um, and then um, uh Brian Aldiss, um, who's another favourite writer of mine, who's very, very good at writing peculiar worlds, um, he wrote a, um, a series called Heliconia, um, which is this massive kind of eons spanning epic thing where where the 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 whole world has got a season that takes um that takes hundreds of years so you one book set in the in the winter that's hundreds of years long and another book set in the spring which is yeah it's a massive thing but in a tiny part of that book there was um there was a weird um monastery um and the and the 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 novices who went off to join this monastery um, had to go through a ritual that involved them visiting part of this monastery that's just utterly in the dark. Um, and they had things like, um, rather than having signs to get from one place to another, they'd have like a texture on the wall that you could feel and that would take you from one place to the next. Yeah. So it kind of, that I think all of those things fed into to me thinking that that you could have a world that had colour mm. without having any visual yeah. pronouns at all, without having any light. Um, and so, you know, there's texture and there's smell and there's, you know, and there's noise mm. and there's, there's the That's way people amazing. interact. It's kind of, yeah, so I wanted it to be as colourful a world as possible without people seeing anything. And so kind of... Well, you said, I mean, I, I did say before we started that actually the time always flies and the time is flying. And I wanted you to write, <laughs> I wanted you to read a little bit so that you could have a, a we can have a flavour of it. Can you give us a couple of minutes? Yep, yep. Yeah, if you're happy to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll 
give you a tiny little bit of a heads up. The front of it um, is is slightly different in that each of the chapters has got um, has got a, one of those kind of classic little science fiction sound bites that isn't quite about the chapter at the beginning. Um, and as you read through the book, the clues for that kind of fall into place, and you work out what's what. Okay, so I'm going to read from the very beginning, um, just what you'd what you'd get when you started at the book at the beginning. This is Lieutenant Merch Weston, service number NXBF. 105345 GDT. Not that that matters over much now. I'm last of the mission to Deep Space Colony Series 4, although the natives here call it dark. Chapter 1. Dunn sat bolt upright in the darkness, eyes open, heart battering. He could still feel it coming. Churning cold metallic water, spray everywhere, his sinews twanged tight, heart banging, ears singing. At least that's blocking out the sound of... What? What is it? What in the gods is it? It's coming. Still coming. It's like it's... It's a hunger. Driven. Want and hate. Blood and bone. Closer and... He breathed in a final struggling breath and shoved the horror in his head away. He could hear his brothers and sisters making small stirring noises not far from him. He hoped he hadn't woken mother too. He'd never hear the end of it. Since father had gone missing, mother had changed. Not close to him. Not warm. He'd become the man of the family and that was it. He still felt too young, but what could he do? Someone had to hunt and forage while mother cared for the little ones and he was the eldest. And now he was waking everyone more nights than not with all these blasted dreams. All that was familiar trickled into his brain, his bed of reeds underneath him, the drone of the fans and the warm mammalian smell of his family. A new span in the dark, time to wake up. The nightmares were taking longer to shake off, something pursuing him through tunnels, carved deep in water, something awful, horrible, hunting him down, him running and running till his lungs felt like rags. Then, of course, as it got to him, he'd wake up. And then every time he tried to get back to sleep, there it would be again, waiting. He sighed. There was no telling mother about it. One day father had gone out and had never come back, just like that. It was like he'd ceased to exist. Once father's smell had faded from their home, it grew harder and harder to remember he'd ever been there. Thinking about father always made him feel a sharp sadness, even though it had happened two ages ago. Mother had pined, of course, crying at night when she knew the babies were asleep. Hearing her weep in the darkness, he knew he'd be growing up faster than his friends. He couldn't talk to most of them about his concerns, except Padge. The others were all busy playing and chasing each other as if nothing had happened. For them, nothing had. Padge, though... He had his own responsibilities. Being the son of a shaman could do that. They'd known each other since they'd been the two youngest pups in the village, and Padge had always been the most worldly of all their group. Not averse to getting into trouble with the rest of them, but certainly averse to getting caught. He'd saved them all from many a beating. Now with father gone, it felt to Dunn like Padge was the only one he could talk to. Odd. The sense of responsibility that Dunn felt he'd had thrust upon him, Padge had been born with. After breakfast... And helping mother feed the little ones, Dunn went out, slamming the rush door behind him. He walked to the wooden span across the massive river pipe, the crossing that gave the bridge folk their name. From there, it was easy to follow the rope path to the village. He needed to reach the shaman's compound on the opposite side of the village if he wanted to talk to Padge about why he'd been feeling so odd. Out of the burrow, he was enveloped by the hum of smell and noise from the village. Some kind of auction of a new piece of found tech seemed to be taking place in the market. There seemed to be raised voices, oddly. Usually trading in Bridgetown was a good-natured affair. He couldn't process any of it today. 
It was all he could do to follow the rope guides underfoot without walking into anything. His head buzzed. He was relieved to finally reach the woven gate and the wisps of incense and worked wood that told him he'd reached his destination. Dunno, was all his friend could muster after Dunry told his dream. Well, thanks for that. Great help. I mean, it, it might be something, it might be nothing. Somehow, none of today is working out how I'd planned, sighed Dunn. That's fabulous. I wanted you to get to the bit where it started explaining it, the, the smells and the sounds and everything, because that's really important, isn't it? And you yeah. can actually, you get the sense of, you know, it may be in the dark, but you're still picturing everything in your mind. I think, I think that's, you know, that's the sign of good writing is that even though people aren't seeing things, they're still sensing the world around them. Mm. I mean, we've been talking for 25 minutes <laughs> and there's still loads more we could talk about but you're definitely getting on to the second book yes. and we've talked about the second book um, people can find out more where can they find out more about your work um, there's a blog um, so um, my blog is at uh, www.intothedarkbook.blogspot.com um, and on there there's links to be able to buy book one um, there's links to be able to join um, there's a write, uh, readers group fan club thing that you can sign up there um, and if you sign up in return for your email um, you'll get a free short stories book that's set in the same world um, so um, all of the other information's on there I, I update people on what's going on and how far I'm getting along with the writing and, and what we're up to and yeah so it's um, yeah I mean, it's, I, I, I just think it's wonderful to actually have something where you, I mean, I know you, you, you said to me before the show that you may move out of science fiction and you may write in a different genre, but to have created your, actually your own world is something at the end of the day that's, you know, it's, it's pretty unique. And, uh, so well done and good luck with everything for the future and thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about it. Thank you for um, having me. And it's Paul Arvidson. You may not have caught the name at the beginning. It's A-R-V-I-D-S-O-N. So look him up, Google him, and you'll find out more about his work. And now you've chosen a track to, to take us out. Did you just want to introduce it and tell us why you chose it? <laughs> yes. Um, it's Leonard Cohen. Um, I've come to Leonard Cohen very late in life. Um, but after having decided um, that... Um, that I was going to call the second book darker. Um, lo and behold, um, one of Leonard Cohen's last tracks was um, was called exactly that. Mm. So I thought that was that was too good a, an opportunity to miss. So this is uh, you want it darker. Thank you. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame A million candles burning for the help that never came You want it darker Oh,
the same. There's a lullaby for suffering and a paradox to blame. But it's written in the scriptures and it's not some idle claim. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Crucified in the human frame, a million candles.